the Criterion Connection, a podcast where two film lovers explore the Criterion Collection by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema. Every two weeks, we craft a double feature of films connected through one element or another. The only caveat, those films must be a part of the Criterion Collection. In addition to that, we also highlight new additions to the collection, as we will do in just a moment. We mm-hmm. highlight hidden gems on the Criterion channel and more. As always, I'm Ian, and she's Mackenzie. Hello. Hello, Mackenzie. And this week, we are discussing spy number 1,127, Mira Nair's Mississippi Masala. Oh, I'm so excited to get into this movie. People can't see, but I am fanning myself. I'm sweating already. I'm sweating. (laughs) I don't remember whose review on Letterboxd this was, but I think it might have been your co-host Kev's. You can feel the humidity in this movie? (laughs) Yes. It's the only other movie i can think of that like looks as uh hot and sticky as this is maybe body do, heat which is do like the right a, thing i was gonna say oh do the right thing yes well i was also thinking of sexuality oh there you go All body right. heat is a very very sexy movie mm, yes but before we get to the sexiness <laughs> we gotta talk about maybe i'm not sure maybe some other kinds of sexiness uh <laughs> tell me what you've been watching i know i know there's a couple things that you specifically wanted to tell me about today yeah, a lot of sexy movies on the docket this <laughs> week. Um, yeah, no, I checked out. I I had a day of weird watching. Uh, I you know I watched a couple. I, I just watched three very strange, completely disconnected movies in one day, and it prompted the email, the message from Kev uh, to my DMs going, "Yo, what is your watching today?" Which I thought was very funny that he was just like, "What the fuck are you even watching?" Because uh, in the middle of this sandwich of like a kind of newish French thriller, The Origin of Evil, and a um, Danish uh, Academy Award winner for Best International Feature at the at the night, I had a little a little th- a little meat in the middle of that sandwich called The Duke of Burgundy, uh, and I do not know what comp- I don't know why this was on my radar. I think I knew, I, mean, I knew it was a queer movie and it was a sapphic film, um, but I I don't know what compelled me to put it on in the middle of the day. But uh, all I kind of knew about it is that it was like a kind of BDSM lesbian movie. And I was like, I don't know. Why not? It's 3 p.m. Let's get, let's get crazy. <laughs> um, and I've never watched a film from Peter Strickland before. But after I watched this, I realized he directed in Fabric, which I remember seeing ads for. Like, I remember the ads for that of the Killer Dress movie. Uh, and I remember seeing people log a film called Flux Gourmet last year as it was playing at like Telluride or something. And mm. never, you know, kind of be like, oh, that looks interesting. And then thinking, oh, maybe that's not my vibe. So I never thought about it again. And uh, later on that, more on that in two minutes. But uh, I did check out Duke of Burgundy and then it kind of made all these connections. Like, oh, this guy directed all these movies I've kind of heard of. And I'm very fascinated by this man. He seems like a weird little freak of a director making movies for weird little freaks like him. He's clearly very inspired by um, European 70s filmmaking, specifically uh, Italy and Spain, I would say, uh, especially giallo, kind of sexploitation, scintillating dramas with kind of strange stilted <laughs> line deliveries. And like, you know, think about what you think of when you think of like low budget 70s filmmaking. I think that's kind of it- Italian and, you know, European specifically 70s filmmaking. Definitely not the American 70s. Uh, but think of that vibe and that's kind of seemingly what he's kind of going for with his his trajectory so far and yeah i'm seeing a lot of the influences of that kind of sexploitation girl on girl 
thing that was happening a ton in Europe in the 70s uh, in Duke of Burgundy. And But here's the thing. It's growing on me the more and more I think about it because uh, it is about like a, these women who study bugs. These like two women. They're just like on an island of women who all study bugs. Like it's, there's no men in this movie. It's it's very Portrait of a Lady on Fire coded that there's no men anywhere. Um, and they are in a relationship and you don't really know at first that they are sort of playing out a power dynamic for uh, kink purposes. You kind of just meet these women and one of them is being very domineering and making the other one clean. Uh, and uh, you be, it obviously begins to get more sexual in nature and you're, you're kind of as if you were like, what's going on here? And then you begin to sort of realize as the play that they're doing restarts, we see it from the other, the Dom's point of view and we see that she is, very carefully, you know, playing this character, this role for her lover. Uh, and then the film is kind of just about their relationship. And as the sub, for lack of a better word, begins to want more and become more domineering and wants to push her kinks further, um, the Dom kind of wants something a bit more vanilla. She wants a little bit more of the real relationship that began this relationship. And so it's about these two women who want two completely different things in this relationship. And I found it so beautifully human and so interesting and relatable in, in ways that I don't think people would assume because they're coming to it, right? Being like, oh, it's the lesbian BDSM movie. But it's actually a movie about like relationships and about communication and relationships and how essential communication is to a functioning love and how sometimes we, as people who want to give to our partners, um, put aside our own wants and needs for, for the people we love. And that's like, I think, a very relatable thing. Uh, and the lead performance from an actress who I'm going to butcher her name, Sitze Babit Knudsen, I think is her name. She's Danish. So I'm sure there's a better pronunciation out there. Um, she's phenomenal in this. She, I think the other actress doesn't quite rise to the level of talent that that actress does. She's fun, but she didn't quite give the character a lot of depth and humanity for me. But that actress, uh, I've also seen her referred to as uh, SBK because those are her initials. She is just, she's amazing in this. She plays the older woman. And as she's trying to sort of push herself to give her younger partner what she wants, she's feeling her age and she's feeling this want for comfort and desire. And and um, she wants to be desired for who she is and not this character she plays in the relationship. And I, I just thought it was really interesting. And it's kind of like, you have to really lean into the tone. It It is hearkening to this 70s style filmmaking so there's a lot of kind of abstractions in it like there's a whole sequence at the end that's just like really weird abstract imagery and the sound design is kind of hypnotic and droning like it is it is still like genre filmmaking even though I'm saying all these kind of modern takes on it but like so you kind of it's a movie that you can either be in the vibe of or not um, but it's a movie I kind of want to watch again. I think the more I sit with it, the more I like it, weirdly. Um, and I and then today I checked out uh, Flux Gourmet, and I don't want to take up too much time in our episode because we've got a lot to get to, but uh, I really like that too. It's a weird, weird, weird fucking movie. Um, if you are someone who's really sensitive to like bodily fluids and um, ASMR in a bad way, you don't like it, and like uh, food things. Like I, I had to Google this like mukbang i think like things like that mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. if you do not like those things you might not like this movie at all but oh, okay. um <laughs> it is it, it's it's really interesting it's about these people who like make weird fucked up grotesque performance art with food and bodily fluids and all the excrements you can think of that come out of a body um and 
it's it's fucking weird i don't know how to describe it but like i kind of i love i thought it was really cool like i i i was you know i was telling you before Ian. like i i am a i am a bo's afraid enjoyer right i i like when a movie takes a huge ass swing and it's like nothing i've i've seen anywhere else and flux gourmet is definitely that and it's streaming on hulu and duke of burgundy's on tubi so his films are really available for if you want to watch them and check them out um yeah i don't know how else to describe flux gourmet i wrote a little review on it you can go check out on my letterbox but it is a weird movie it's one of those you kind of just like have to see it to see if you're going to enjoy it but like i could see this being a movie that people fucking hate because it's a, it's throwing yeah. a lot at you but again i think he still is sort of using the same tools he did with duke and burgundy where he's I put this in my review. He's luring you in with like, you know, scat play, which happens in Flux Gourmet, uh, you know, cannibalism, orgies, BDSM. He's luring you in with all these things, but I do think he's telling at the core very human stories because there's a really, um, I think, pretty meaningful and beautiful story about acceptance and uh, and what it feels like to to live in a body that is actively making you feel unwell as someone of hmm. sick tummy experience I, I related to that very much and just like this idea of just wanting to be a part of art wanting to be a part of community wanting to feel special wanting to feel powerful like all of that is within all this crazy weird food poop stuff that's happening in flux gourmet mm. so i don't know i'm fascinated by peter strickland i also super quick checked out a short film of his blank narcissus on a on movie and it's a soft core porn and i was like all right okay and but it but it it moved me emotionally like i i was so amazed that i was watching a soft core porn and the premise is it's like a director doing a commentary over like a 70s porn that he shot and it's a monologue so you're watching the porn technically but what's moving you emotionally and pushing a story forward is the monologue of this man watching this young actor 50 years ago that he used to be in love with and remembering that relationship and remembering the heartbreak and the pain while he's watching this like moment of ecstasy with his old lover. And I'm like, I just, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I'm kind of amazed by Peter Strickland's ability to put like kind of bold, sexual, gross out shit on screen and still have a really emotional, interesting core to it. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm fascinated by this man basically. And I'm like, are you gay? Like I'm trying to find out if this man's gay. Like what's your vibe, dude? Interesting. No. Yeah. No. Or you would not think I've seen reviews for flux gourmet come through in the past. You know, I think it came out last year. So yeah, yeah it, it's really recent. It looked, it gave me like Brandon Cronenberg vibes and I didn't really mm. think much of it because like you, I'm maybe not as much of a scaredy cat as you, but I feel like I'm getting more so. And I really don't like, horror films which it's not scary at all i'll say that. okay interesting it's more just like tense and weird and kind of gross out it's more like i hate this it's more lynchian than it is like a cronenberg movie Ooh. if i'm gonna like it has more of that tense drony weird stilted shit than it does like a gross out body thing there's like still some gross out stuff in the movie but like it's it was way uh chiller than i thought it was gonna be based on the advertising if that helps it nice. but i still think if you're like a you don't like asmr or like gross food sounds like you don't like, is it misophonia whatever the mm -hmm. the word for like you don't like food noises like you would hate that movie so do yeah not, do misophonia so uh, people who get mad when people eat on mic drink on mic yeah and it's like these performance artists are making music and sounds and soundscapes with food so like it's it's a big part of the film so the like the movie weird. yeah it's weird <laughs> Gwendolyn christie's in it she's really good oh wow interesting 
it's a wild role for her and it's really fun to see her doing shit like this after game of thrones um, very cool my that one i might have to check out both of them i might have to check out if they're so available that's super cool there's like another one of his where it's like a guy who does um adr or like or like sound effects for like a an italian horror film it's like his first movie i want to check that out it looks really cool it's on it's on tubi or something so yeah but now i'm rambling about peter strickland but i did want to bring him up here because i think this audience might maybe like him or be interested in him and i wanted to tell you about him ian um yeah definitely make sure you're not watching uh blank narcissus on a work computer or anything because there is (laughs) a lot of a lot of penises in that but uh ian (laughs) what you watch Oh, uh, I feel as if I really didn't get to a lot because I did a lot of starting and stopping. Mm-hmm. I started your beloved The Lion in Winter and yes. had to stop it just because uh, for those who do not know, my fiance and I are, are planning our wedding, which is less than mm-hmm. two weeks away, basically. Uh, and it's very stressful and it's uh, taking up a lot of brain space and time. And also we live in Texas and the Texas Rangers are versing off against the Texas Astros in the lead up to the World Series right now. So it's also a very tense time because Frankie, my fiance, is a huge baseball fan. I um, am not. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been fun. Which team uh, is her team s- between the two? The Rangers. The, the Rangers, Rangers are DFW, okay. North Texas. The Astros are Houston. Okay. Um, okay. So we live in Fort Worth, which is North Texas for our listening audience. So we are definitely Rangers fans, um, but she was raised that way. I'm from Atlanta. I'm a Braves fan. I'm a fan of anything, but I really couldn't care less. Uh, anyway, so just all that to say, it's been really difficult to watch movies, but as always, Mackenzie, you and I are like, I didn't watch a lot. Then we go look at our diaries and it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> I watched 12 things. Oh. Yeah. I only watched six things, but um, <laughs> I did watch uh, Rachel Getting Married, which we've talked about briefly on this show because of our... Uh, talking about jonathan demi yeah and uh i had such high hopes for this film and it just didn't match them unfortunately Mm -hmm. and i think that's the only reason uh i don't have you know immensely positive things to say about it uh because i just was like i had built up this anna hathaway performance in my mind and she's Mm -hmm. phenomenal she's really good and she gets amazing moments and i love all of her moments but the story just didn't really land for me. The 2008 of it all didn't really I land for me. I was literally just thinking, I haven't watched it in years, but I guarantee you it it feels of its time. Like I, From what I recall of the story and the performances, it feels like at the time Anne Hathaway was playing super against type and it was this huge, like crazy thing. But like, I, I, I could see how it'd be a pretty middling yeah. drama in 2023. Yeah. Which I absolutely love her in it. And I love what she's doing. And I'm like, every time she's doing something like really doing something, something like almost Oscar-y. And I'm like, yeah. The haircut yeah. in that movie is wild. <laughs> yeah. It's a very try hard performance, but like, something that Anne Hathaway gets a lot of demerits for that I've always really appreciated her is her quote unquote theater kid energy, like Mm. showing the effort. I love that about Anne Hathaway because like acting is requires a lot of effort. Um, and sometimes I like to see it, but yeah, uh, didn't really match up. Uh, it's what I was hoping, but that's okay. Not every movie has to, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, aside from that, I, watched this netflix miniseries from mike flanagan called the haunting of hill house and i was mm-hmm. so pissed off because it could have made a great two-hour movie but instead it was a very boring 10-hour miniseries well that's um, a hot that's a piping hot take that's i a know boiling take right there. well you know it's a very hot take but i will say i've got a very uh successful and very prolific podcast around my side slim of 70 millimeter had the exact same take um 
I'm more of a Bly Manor person, but I re- I I have an aff- affection for that that one shotter episode that I remember being really cool. I haven't watched that in like mm. years, but I remember episode yeah, six being no. really cool. This is just my problem, as Mackenzie will know, but maybe our audience won't. With television in general, it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> get to the point. Um, Are you gonna watch Bly Manor? I actually. They'll probably have the same feelings, but it's gay, so that's where no, it but gets like. Better. He, it's funny you say both things that'll have the same feelings, but you're more of a fan of it. I am more inclined to watch Blaine Manor because that's the one I really want to watch. I know it's like a romance. I actually didn't know it was queer, so that's really interesting. Um, so no, I'm I, I'm not I'm not turned off on Mike Flanagan at all. I like Mike Flanagan's stuff. I like his vibe. I like his filmmaking. So I'm probably yeah, I'll watch Blaine Manor probably oh. at least give it a shot before Halloween, while spooky season is still going on and bly manor is incredibly queer i was in the trenches on twitter when that show was coming out like oh the lesbian trend we were in it deep (laughs) as lesbians on twitter when uh bly manor was airing oh boy (laughs) that was uh uh, i have like a print somewhere in my house i have not watched that series in years but i i was so deep in my bly manor shit that i have a print in my house somewhere of a series i've watched once wow um damn but yeah, so I'll probably give it a shot. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, speaking of spooky season, I watched another piece of beloved Mackenzie Lore, The Phantom of the <laughs> Paradise. Yes. Which I didn't write anything about on Letterboxd, but yes. I really loved it. I thought it was so fun. Um, and just weird and wild and, you know, kooky. And Paul Williams is so fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love Jessica Harper. I think she's a lot of fun in everything yes. I've ever seen her in. And she doesn't disappoint here. I don't have like a, you know, a radical, hot, interesting take on it. I just thought it was fun. I thought it was so much fun. Um, I'm very happy Criterion has put this up. Uh, They, everybody, like, it's just one of those crazy things where it's like, if you have Criterion channel, one month you'll get Showgirls and the next month you'll get Phantom of the Paradise. Like, channel, we love you, Criterion channel. What a value. Best streaming service for the money, at least for mine. Um. And after all this rambling, I do want to finally talk about the one movie that I watched this week that I absolutely adored. Um, I don't think it will come as any surprise because I recently saw Stop Making Sense for the first time. And I saw it three times in theaters and I fucking love that movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. Confirmed. So I checked out David Byrne's directorial debut and only film to date that is in the Criterion Collection and we could do it one day. That's True Stories, which I gave a whopping five stars and I also didn't really have a hot take i just haven't had a lot of room for well-crafted thoughts this week but i just wrote on my letterbox review perfect with a big fat heart because it's just so good um it's a great vibe it's a i think it's the only satire i've ever seen that is like a loving satire of like Mm -hmm. small town life um john goodman gives a phenomenal performance probably the best thing i've ever seen john goodman do and i love john goodman he's in you know all the Coen's films he's in you know some of the best movies made since like the 1980s and uh he's phenomenal in this the music is of course amazing it's talking heads um yeah it's it's very vignette um and it's very um twee i guess mm-hmm. for lack of a like a better word uh but you know it's so beautiful like the compositions the storytelling what David Byrne is trying to say about life in the Western world in the 1980s, a time which was rampant with overconsumption and, 
you know, loss of connection with other human beings, with nature, with ourselves, um, has a lot to say about all those things and more. I uh, couldn't recommend it more. And um, we might have to move some things around in the near future because we got to talk about this movie. It's such a good movie. I guess I watched a lot more than I thought. I, uh, you know, I I paid visit to our old friend Lydia Tarr, uh once again because tis the season. I don't know about you, Mackenzie, but for me, that is just like a going to be a perennial like fall film for me. I need to check it out. I need to do a rewatch. I really do. But uh, yeah, that's it from me. And uh, we need to get this train on the tracks because we got a little bit more than normal to talk about because while we were away, as is almost always the case, Criterion announced their January releases. And by golly, I got a DM from you on Discord that said, big fucking month and you were not fucking kidding. I was indeed correct because buckle up, babies. We are we are getting in. We're, we're speeding down the highway with some amazing this is a weird metaphor I'm making some amazing films. Uh, we have two restorations, two 4k restorations, both of which are fucking huge. Uh, spy number 834, the Coen brothers is blood simple, incredible debut feature uh, is being restored in 4k with digital transfer approved by King Barry Sonnenfeld, who Kevin, and I just discussed yeah. his film. Oh, yeah. Adam's oh, family. Yeah. Uh, love <laughs> Sonnenfeld and the Coens. Uh, amazing. Uh, and then another incredible 4K transfer a situation for Spy Number 782, the Apu trilogy by Ray. I mean, man, that's. I've been needing to check out the Apu trilogy. We might need to do some moving around because I would love to check mm. out those films and also that new transfer. Uh, and then we have four new releases. This is a film I do not know what it is, but I have seen a million people on Criterion forums begging for a release of it, so they have finally won on this day. Spy number 1202 is Lone Star. Do you know about this movie? I don't. Uh, no, and I, okay. I, I've never... I don't think I've ever seen anything about it. I mean, I've seen people begging for a release, and, and they won. Uh, I would love to check this out. It is a 4K as well, so that's going to be amazing looking. It's the new, Oh, God. And then this one. I'm sorry. I'm just like, it's getting more and more big. This mm-hmm. release, Spine Over 1203, is a box set of Chantal Ackerman masterpieces, 1968 mm-hmm. to 1978. And yes, that does include Jean Dielman, the number one film of all time, according to Sight and Sound polls for the next 10 years. News from Home. The Meetings of Anna, Jetuiel, all of her big ones, including a bunch of, I feel like either they they wrote like never before seen or very rarely seen short films. Uh, looks incredible. Cannot wait to watch that. Then even bigger, spy number 1204 is mm. train spotting. Danny Boyle's train spotting. Oh my gosh, we got to talk about this. Choose life. Choose life. And the packaging is glow in the fucking dark. Like, have you seen that? Holy shit! No, I did not see that. If what? you go to the page, they Getting show a crazy glow in the with dark. the gimmicks. Yeah, they they're doing a glow in the dark release on that, what? which is amazing. And then I'll I'll say the last ones oh, that we can wow. just talk about all of them. Uh, and then twelve oh four, I believe D Reese receives yeah her second film in the collection after Pariah with Mudbound, spy number twelve hundred and five. So Ian, we gotta talk about all this. This is these are all incredible. This is an amazing month. How about train spotting. Are you a fan of train spotting the film? No, no, uh, not at all. Um, but I'm very happy for everybody who, who, who is, you know, I mean, I, I like it. It's a little too much for me. 
personally. Uh, yeah. And I was a huge Shallow Grave fan, which is also in the collection. And so going from Shallow Grave to Trainspotting, I didn't quite see the appeal. And But I listened to the Blank Check episode, and it does seem like Trainspotting was truly a you-had-to-be-there kind of thing. Uh, and I, I do love and appreciate how, to me, the essence and energy and aesthetics of Trainspotting does define a certain portion of a generation. I do think that, like... It is so quintessentially of its time in a, in a really beautiful way. Uh, and so I love that Criterion has it in the collection because to me, I want the Criterion collection to be a place of like these time capsules of artistry and time and place. And Trainspotting like nails that for me. Yeah. And I am thrilled that it's in the collection. It is such a, you, Mackenzie, you like said it perfectly. It's definitely a, you had to be there kind of film, but it is undeniably such a cool film yes like, train spotting at the time and i think still to this day to a degree is a cool item it is a cool product it's a cool like chalice or a totem of culture um so yeah no i think it's so cool that it's in the collection i mean i i'm not the right person to ask my favorite danny boyle film is steve jobs so <laughs> um you know, but what I am excited about is Blood Simple. That is yes. a phenomenal debut film, like you said. And I think that movie looks amazing. So I am so excited for a new restoration of it. Yeah, it's um, more amazing than it already does. That film, that film is defined by like the neon and the low light uh, cinematography. And it is, like you said, shot by the uh, amazing uh barry sonnefeld who of course uh did when harry met sally which i heard you uh on adp realized for the very first time as kev told you yeah i didn't know barry did it what a great moment yeah so aside from that Mackenzie, i don't know do you have any history i mean i know you've seen jean dealman i haven't i yeah no i mean i'm really excited to see bud bound i don't know much about it but I, i i remember coming out and wanting to see it so like amazing excuse now um but yeah i'm the one i'm most excited about is this chantal ackerman thing um i i yeah i love jean dillman i i gave it my patience and i think i was rewarded i think that that's what the film does is it rewards your patience and your your time you spend sitting with her and uh i wrote i spent a lot of time and energy and love on a review i'm really proud of for jean dillman so if you check out the film you know go check out my review on letterboxd but I love it. I've been wanting to watch more of her films and you know, she's an icon. She's, she's a bi-con quite literally. Uh, and so I've been really wanting to check out, especially Je Duiel and news from That's home and like news, like all of these for films I've been dying to see. And like, especially on a sale, that price is not that bad. So I'm kind of thinking I might have to go pick this up for myself around the holidays because uh, I, I don't know. I was telling Kev, this is my little news to everyone. I'm thinking in the new year, I want to like maybe try to get the Varda box set. And so I'm like, what if I get Chantal and Varda and I make it my year of like my uh, 60s, 70s female auteurs? Maybe that's what I do. But yeah, I'm yeah. that that was the big one to me. I mean, I love it. It's perfect timing, right? With Jean Dillman getting this much um, uh, publicity this year, right? It was kind of a big year for that film, weirdly. So like amazing timing getting this out. So yeah, just, yeah amazing release yeah now out of all these releases that is the one that will absolutely be coming home with me come sale time i not to play like uh identity politics with the criterion collection or anything but like i am obsessed with the female auteur box sets that they have had and that they are continuing to have i absolutely adore the box set i got 
on the lasso of three films by my Zetterling, a phenomenal filmmaker. I am on the record and have it written down on Letterboxd that I think Loving Couples is a better debut film than Citizen Kane. Um, whoa, she, whoa, whoa. yeah, it, it's just, it's something you and I have talked about. Like they are definitely making more of an effort to have directors of color mm-hmm. and also femme and female directors are being added to the collection at a record setting pace for them. It's I mean, still I not don't enough. I think a release goes by now where there's not a, a female director involved. I, I think, I, think I mean, I'm right. sure there you could find one, but like most of them have at least one film by a, by a woman, which has been amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's still not enough. Sometimes you and I will look at films in the collection because we want to always be consistently talking about female filmmakers and we'll be like, oh, um, mm. we don't want to run out of them, but we, you know, this is, this is all we got. It's pretty small so list, it's, yeah. yeah, so it's nice that they're, you know, trying to keep up with us. Good job. Stay tuned to the end of this episode, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything else to say about these, Mackenzie? No, just an amazing month, and I and it's the January releases. So you know, here's to an amazing year of Criterion releases. Yeah, I'm calling yeah. it now. They, they let us down a little bit with December, but they're getting ooh, us back, baby, boy. in the new year. Yeah. And come on, Very 2024 Gregoraki Teenage Doom trilogy box set. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. Well, I guess I guess I guess it's time to uh, keep on rolling down these tracks. So, uh, Mackenzie, why don't you go ahead and bring us into the world of Mississippi? Uh, Uganda and Mira Nair's Mississippi Masala. Yeah, we got to get down to the Delta, baby. The vibrant cultures of India, Uganda, and the American South come together in Mira Nair's Mississippi Masala, a luminous look at the complexities of love in the modern melting pot. Years after her Indian family was forced to flee their home in Uganda by the dictatorship of Idi Amin, 20-something Mina, played by Sarita Chowdhury, spends her days cleaning rooms in an Indian-run motel in Mississippi. When she falls for the charming black carpet cleaner Demetrius, played by the Denzel Washington, Their passionate romance challenges the prejudices of both their families and exposes the rift between the region's Indian and African-American communities, tackling thorny issues of racism, colorism, culture clash, and displacement with bright-hearted humor and keen insight. Nair serves up a sweet, sexy, and deeply satisfying celebration of love's power in Mississippi Masala. You know, Mackenzie, if I had read that Criterion synopsis before watching it, I wouldn't be surprised by the way this thing was covering so many different themes, yes. so multifaceted. <laughs> but uh, which which means we're gonna have a great conversation. But before we get to it, can you enlighten me to your history with Mississippi Masala, if you have any with Denzel or Chowdhury or Nair? Um, gosh, okay, yeah. I mean, I also just the one thing I knew about this movie is, be- it was like so perfectly timed it was right before the restoration was announced 
uh, from Janice. And everyone was like, immediately like, oh, this is probably going to be in the collection. Um, I was hearing rumblings about this movie on Twitter because people would post the screen caps from the phone call scene, which we will discuss, mm-hmm. where Sarita Chattery is so sexy. I know Denzel is too, but, you know, Sarita's more my speed. And I was just like, what the fuck is this movie? And I was immediately, it was immediately put on my radar. And then I, I saw a lot of people of color talking amazingly to the point that like it is an interracial couple that uh, there's not a white person involved. And so the film feels kind of groundbreaking in the way that it is. It doesn't feel like the need to like put a white person in the middle of the story in order to tell a story about a couple from two different cultures. And I was like, whoa, this movie sounds fucking awesome. Uh, and then it was announced for the collection. And I was like, I have to see this as soon as possible. And by the time we were doing that came out, we were doing the podcast. And so I always knew it was going to come up and we slated this in pretty early and we've moved it up in our, in our schedule. Cause we wanted to talk about it. Cause I think you and I both have just been super excited to watch this. Yeah. Um, I think at I one point watched- it was a McKenzie pick. It w- yes, it was originally a me pick, and we were just kind of like, let's put it back up because we want to watch it now. Uh, and I've never seen a, a film from Amira Nair, but I've wanted to for forever. Uh, and uh, not to spoil the ending, I will be checking out more of her work this week because I'm really interested in in her vi- her vision. Um, Denzel, one of the greatest actors to ever live. Who hasn't seen him in a million movies because he is just the goat? Uh, I don't know. I love I love him. He's a he's a direct, he's a film. He's an actor who I feel like is just so um, ingrained in culture that I just, I love him and everything I see. He was great in the tragedy of Macbeth. I was hoping he would get an Oscar nom for that. He did not. Um, But yeah. And then Sarita, I first saw her in The Green Knight and fell in love with her. She's the most beautiful woman ever. (laughs) She's so hot. Uh, And I think she's stunning as Dev Patel's mother in that film. Uh, And yeah, I think I saw her in something else also semi-recently and then yeah i know she's on you know i kind of jokingly said she's in uh and just like that so like she's an actress i've become more aware of and i thirst follow her oh she's an actor yang that's what she was in i'm trying to i was like she was in something else oh, she's yeah. the doctor in wow. that. um she really does just pop up she just kind of pops up everywhere and yeah i thirst follow her on instagram so i'm i'm keeping up with sarita don't worry i'm always i'm always <laughs> in the know of what's going on with her um and i'm also we'll get into it i'm from memphis i'm on the state line of mississippi and have spent a lot of my life and childhood in northern mississippi and uh man did this the that's this film hit a certain part of my soul with the way it depicted uh my hometown <laughs> kind of my the way I, place i grew up so yeah a lot more history with this oh. film than i thought ian what about you yeah i mean pretty much the same for nair um I mean, I've I've seen all those movies you're talking about with Sarita Chowdhury in, uh, but I didn't like really know of her or know her that well. But yeah, I mean, we'll get into it. She's amazing in all the roles you listed. Uh, Green Knight wasn't one of my favorites, but it's something I've been meaning to follow up on because I know your uh, fiance is uh, one of her favorite movies. Uh, yes. But, you know, aside from that, I just kind of feel like with that film, it was wrong place, wrong time. But I remember her very vividly. and you're bringing back the memories of after yang which is a film that grew for me and yes yeah, she's great in that she's great um you ask though uh who hasn't seen Den- denzel in a million things actually i haven't seen denzel in a million <laughs> things i've only actually seen denzel in three movies according to my letterbox statistics which are very accurate because i've pretty much you know marked everything i've ever seen in my life as watched mm. but yeah i've seen the tragedy of Macbeth, and uh you know that's the most notable thing which he's amazing in. He should have absolutely been nominated for an Oscar that year. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, no, and like you, I just I, I heard about this movie when it was getting announced. I saw reviews from people that we both follow on Letterboxd coming through at five stars, four and a half, five, you know. And uh, it just looks so good from the trailers, from the marketing. That cover, that Criterion design is immaculate. One of the best they've had, I think. In all, yeah. Yeah. One of the uh, best Criterion 100%. cards, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it's just been so on my radar. And, you know, not, you know, you kind of have tipped the uh, your hand a little bit. So, you know, I'll tip mine just a little bit. <laughs> I was having flashbacks to a film we covered not too long ago, Eve's Bayou. Mm. Um, not because of the obvious demographical connections to, you know, that those are both pe- stories about people of color, but, and also female filmmakers, but just very um, dreamlike, ethereal cinematography that hooks you instantly and also just like, a lot of outpouring of love from certain communities for these films. And so it's really interesting to hear about, you know, the reaction on Twitter that you're talking about was like, you know, this is a biracial couple that doesn't have a white person involved. Mm -hmm. I think there's like two white people in this movie. And one of them is like, a, you know, it's not like stated explicitly, but it's like, obviously like a gun toting racist. Oh yeah. They're all accurately racist for that area. No offense. I, if there are people in Mississippi, girl me too but like there's i we all know what our grandparents are like okay and that's that's them in this movie there's like the guy who drives the truck and then there's the guy who uh mans the desk at the other motel which is very it actually is racist because he uses the n-word oh Uh, 100 percent, yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so anyway all that to say very similar to you uh but yeah i think i mean i'm 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 chopping at the bits mckenzie let's get it into it well you know something about you spy you and this film that I think looks so good is, and I know the films still do this, but like there's something about a film that looks like this where I love being able to tell they shot on location. I know that is a weird thing to start with, but like they filmed in Uganda and those places feel real and lived in. And these human beings feel like they, they feel like humans. They feel so real. The world feels so lived in and organic. And then when we get to Mississippi, they were filming around Mississippi, like around that area up in Greenwood and like Northern Mississippi. I wouldn't have been shocked if they were in Jackson probably for a little bit too. And like they went down to Biloxi, which uh, is, you know, prime vacation spot that and Gulf shores was the kind of beachy areas I grew up around. Um, and yeah, like it just feels so lived in and so natural and like the community I don't know, like the, especially the, the the various communities that they are a part of and the ways they intersect. Everything feels so organic, so real, so truthful because it is. I just love when Phil and I think East Bayou has that too, where you can tell they are in a bayou and they were in a swamp and they are in these beautiful Louisiana towns. Like, I love films of this era that like film where they're at. And um, there was a woman when Willie Ben was waiting when we first meet him, uh, Demetrius's dad. There's a woman, a very an older woman with very round, big hair. And I gasped when that woman entered the screen because I was like, that is Mima. That looks like my Mima. Like that woman's hair and the little weird fit t-shirt with the necklace, like she just looked identical to my great grandmother in a way that get, made me like be like, oh, this feels like home. Like that she in an instant has like nailed this place. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I think that's you're right. I just feel so amazing, and it looks. I mean, the cinematography is stunning too, and serves the the settings so beautifully. But like, it just feels so lived in, and yeah, I love it. Yeah, I was astounded when I could just 
I didn't know for a fact. I found out later because I did a little bit of research, but I was just astounded when I could feel that we were actually in Uganda. I was like, yeah. it's crazy how this actually feels like it's Uganda. Oh, shit, it is Uganda. And on top of that, Mackenzie, uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast recently, and I believe the filmmaker of um, Sleeping With Other People was talking. And her name is uh, Leslie Headland. Um And I just, I, she was talking about how when she got the go-ahead to make her first feature, which was Bachelorette with Kristen, Kirsten Dunst, uh, film was never even an option. It was just assumed she would shoot on digital. And, you know, I'm going down this little pathway to say this film is shot on film and it oh. looks phenomenal. And the reason I provide that anecdote is because in 1990, if you were going to make a feature, you, uh, you, you could only shoot on film. You didn't have digital cameras of any caliber to shoot a feature length film. So like, I do love that this film that was obviously shot on a budget obviously an independent production you know there's a story i read that she even had backers pull out because of a casting snafu um before she got denzel is like she, she just had to shoot on film and it looks phenomenal the cinematography like you said is amazing uh like just these shots on the biloxi beach are just absolutely beautiful and also the shots of the ugandan countryside and the oh, hillsides my god these yeah. sunsets these sunrises these moments of dusk it's a review that I, you know, mentioned Kev's review about how you can feel the humidity, but it's a very common thing that people point out about this movie. I, and I think it's because of this, 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 this shooting on film, the shooting on location, the skill of the direction and the cinematography, these places, you can feel them. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, you can feel them. It's amazing. The film looks gorgeous, and the 4K is, like, mind-blowing. I watched on the channel. I have to assume that's the transfer, and it's, like, yeah. so... It's, like, mind-blowingly gorgeous. And, yeah. like, that... And, and you know what? Something I, that came to mind when I was watching this, and it's because, like, you know, I'm from the South. You are, too. You get it. There's, like, uh, I think... Occasionally accurate, yes, stereotyping of Southerners, but obviously no group of people is a monolith. And so I feel like there's always a sort of especially at this time in film and TV, a certain type of idea of what the South looks like, right? The redneck white trash energy of, of Mississippi, especially, which is typically the butt of the joke. And as someone who, again, who grew up basically there, rightfully so <laughs> the butt of the joke often, but like, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's, it's insulting in the same way that countries in Africa are also always kind of typically portrayed as like very poor and dirty and these like dry orange arid colors and everyone looks miserable and dirty. And, and I love that these are two places that are sort of thought of in a specific way. Um, and she shows them for how beautiful they are. Right. Like, like Uganda is so stunning. Like the, the, those gorgeous lush greens against that crystal blue sky. And then the town, those gorgeous, those deeper greens and browns and oranges when the girl at the end, oh my God, when she's dancing mm -hmm. and the baby is so cute, like you feel yeah. the joy and the beauty in this space. And same with the South, a place that is often also kind of thought of as like dirty and, and, and whatever, like, um, yeah, these these oranges, these yellows, these these blues, they're so the neons, the pinks, the reds, like these luscious colors. I mean, we talked about it with Darjeeling. Um, you know, Indian art has all these beautiful, lush, bright electric colors, and that's here in the cinematography. And yeah, like she just makes these places that I feel like can typically be like the butt of the joke so beautiful because they are. And I just yeah, I love that. I love seeing the beauty in these worlds, I guess. 
Like I just want to yeah. live in a Mira Nair movie like forever. Like I just was like, t- put me in there. Let me be in there. Yeah. No, I mean, it. it is a stunning film and uh, not even, we haven't even touched on the human beings that themselves are no. stunning. I mean, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. Let's talk about it. The, uh, the, uh, telephone scene. I'm going to pass out. Ian. <laughs> the way out. in which she has conceived of and directed this sequence, which is not even maybe four minutes long. is so just one of the most erotic <laughs> and like intensely like hot oh scenes God. in film I've ever seen. And like it, it, it's all over the film. The sexiness, I, I, I DM'd you and was like, just, you know, remember when films could be sexy in like a fun, exciting way. And, you know, the sexual tension between them over the phone is palpable. But also, I think there's a thing that you might want to talk about. Uh, oh, which, which, which thing? I was going to talk about the placement of oh, the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> sheet baby that sheet literally my eyes bugging out of my head like i'm a fucking cartoon wolf like like just like looking at that sheet being like is this gonna happen like the way it is placed that must have been glued to her thigh how did that not move i don't know and then denzel has the like white underwear with a little bit of like belly Mm -hmm. showing i was like this is nc-17 this is Mm. and rachel and i kept yelling the whole movie whatever happened to chemistry and movies everyone's making fun of that glim pal sydney sweeney thing that come out and it looks like they have no chemistry whatsoever um because it doesn't take just hot people being on screen together they've got to have that spark and just every scene with the two of them then when they're dancing and he has like his hand on the back of her neck and they're like mouths are an inch apart or like when they're making eyes at each other across the table at dinner or like when they're walking on the beach and he's like, Oh, can I kiss? You know, I want to kiss you like that. Or when they're watching oh, the God. swamp, the whole, the kiss Ooh. scene is like, Oh, I got to pass out. Ooh. Like the, the, the sexuality between these people is yeah. so hot. There were so many moments when they were just like brushing up against one another or looking at each other that I was just like, <laughs> giggling and twirling my hair and kicking my little feet i was like yeah exactly and i was just like giggling and just going like crazy i was like oh shit like this is like this is like non-existent in in this day and age like i mean it's 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 so tired (laughs) like this this conversation of like sexless superheroes like everybody can be hot but nobody can be sexy and like Mm -hmm. i like I've already said it this episode, but I chose that word. I choose that word very specifically. Like this movie is sexy. Yes. Like it's not just hot. Do the right thing is a hot movie. Like yes. that movie feels hot. Um, and it's not like, it's not like a soft core pornography either. Like that film, that short film you watched either, <laughs> yes. which is literally just a soft core yes. porn. But uh, no, like this movie is sensual. Yes. That's the, that's a better word. It's, it's a very sensual film and a sensual massage. Yeah. And interesting that sequence with the sheet covering. Um, <laughs> it's just it is interesting because it's like there is a way in which sex scenes are filmed and nudity, you know, postcoital nudity is filmed in which it's like, oh, this is so obviously staged. Like they have the L shape, you know, mm-hmm. the sheets covering the the boobs, the vag, and then the dick, you know, it's shaped yes. like an L. So, and but like that sequence, of course, she's alone. It's just like. I mean, I buy that somebody's sitting like that, but also it's like, 
you know, hachi mommy. Like, you know, she's getting ready to do something and you feel that. You feel like they were maybe yeah. about to like start touching Phone themselves. Sex. Yeah. And you're like, yes. and you're waiting for it. And you're like, it's, and it builds that same anticipation that they have. And like, uh, Rachel, not to yeah. give it to my wife to make things weird, but <laughs> Rachel and I were talking, like, we were in a long distance relationship. And like, that is so much of the relationship. Like, that is like the anticipation of just talking to each other and like wanting. Uh, I loved uh, Mitchell Bupre talked to Mira and I when this restoration came out. And their review on Letterboxd is this quote that I'd love to share with you because she gets what it feels like to be in a kind of long distance, right, relationship where it's the anticipation of being with one another that was what makes it so fun. And Mira Nair said, it was always conceived pretty much like you're seeing it, which is top down, looking at them with the split screen. What happens in that when you're not with each other and you're longing for each other is that you are revealing your longing. You're revealing yourself in an uncensored way because you're alone. It's funny too, you know. What are you wearing? A t-shirt. We have so much in common. It was like tongue in cheek. Let's just pretend to speak, but actually I'm really kissing you all over. You know what I mean? Mm. like she gets yeah. it i like it's like that's what makes that scene it seems almost hotter to me than the sex scene which is also piping mm -hmm. hot too yeah which is also very this, good so this yeah. is criterion connection after dark <laughs> the movie the movie definitely you know invokes that though i think yeah and um i mean i think we, we we've already touched on it but also which is incredibly uh sensual and just sparks are flying off these two is that sequence by the lake or the river mm -hmm. or whatever it is where he just you know he asks very uh sexily for consent southern gentleman like, baby yeah like fuck yeah and that i you had already like texted me like remember when uh co-stars had chemistry and i was like yeah yeah that's nice and then i saw that scene and i was like oh wait co-stars don't have <laughs> chemistry anymore it's because i i mean i'm i'm struggling to put words to it mackenzie because it was just so intense and so amazing like the both of them together was just like phenomenal i think that's why people return to this movie and love it so much because it does feel kind of like uh chemistry from a bygone era you know what i mean like and obviously i'm not saying that there's no chemistry anywhere like honestly i see chemistry a lot on tv because like people mm. who are playing romantic character like characters for a long period of time have that time to really invest in that relationship and you know i feel like that's where a lot of really great chemistry is existing right now in the tv sphere but I, yeah i don't know this, this does feel unique and i think that's why people return to it and still find it so sexy because it just it holds up it really does I mean, that's just like one aspect of the film. Most of that hap most of what we've just talked about happens in the second half of this film. Yes. Uh, I didn't realize this thing was uh, going to take so long to get where it was going, which I'm is not a complaint. That's absolutely not a me uh, criticizing the film whatsoever because I felt so much for um, Mina and her family by the time we're in Mississippi. Speaking of mm -hmm. another moment, that hair flip. <gasps> 40 pounds of hair on that woman's head. How is she not break her <laughs> neck doing that? Like, oh my God. Yeah. And again, her phenomenal. hair. But oh yeah. My God. And her cheekbones and her hairy armpits. This is a woman mm. of my dreams. Okay. Rachel, look out. Rachel would join me and we would all be happy oh, okay, together. I, I yeah, literally turned go. to her, I think, last night <laughs> while we were watching. And I was like, if Sarita wants to be in this relationship, she's gonna be. And Rachel was like, "Oh, totally!" Like we we both uh, yeah. we both would love <laughs> Sarita. Sarita Chaudhary, if you're listening you to this are. podcast, still 
You were invited to our relationship. You were invited in. <laughs> Don't no need no need to break down the door. The door is always open. <laughs> the do- you have a key, Mama. Like just I will let you in. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I I didn't I didn't realize that we were gonna take so long to get to Mississippi, which I really enjoyed. I thought Uganda was gonna be maybe you know five seconds of screen time or mentioned offhand, but like we've already talked about briefly, we get to live in actual uganda for a little while and go back yeah i was not expecting the political aspect of this film at all because again i just kind of knew like oh these two people are hot together i was expecting a like a normal quote-unquote cut and dried romance i uh with you know probably some tension between families i wasn't expecting this i learned something and i know that sounds very silly but like i did not know about this i i, I feel like i really learned about like because afterward i started reading up on it and about yeah about how british colonizers brought over indian people and then like people build families and homes and were native to this area in north africa which is something i did not know and then you know i learned about this dictatorship and this kind of forceful expulsion which is a whole other thing that feels relevant right now in a way that was like also made it, I think, particularly touching to watch because mm. it feels very relevant mm-hmm. to the world. Not getting into stuff, but you know what I mean. If you know, you mm. know. Um, so like, I was just not expecting how uh, political it would be, and I feel like I learned a ton, like about this part of history I had no fucking idea existed. So that's like, it was educational, but it didn't like beat you over the head about it. Like it just kind of organically came out and was so interesting it's just the story yeah it's like the story of these people is also a political drama um which i was like so interested in is because it's like why can't mom and dad actually have had lives and have stories and have have those stories actually lead and have consequence for mina's life and her story and have impact on her life i found it so interesting that like the things in which Mina deals with and the conflicts in her life and the struggles that she faces are directly linked and tied to her own parents's. It made for just a really like, I think it's just excellent writing. I think it was like, it wasn't clunky. It wasn't forced. It was like, Oh, Mina's dealing with the same things, but also Mina is of a different generation. Mina is coming of age in the early nineties and things are different. And, to that same point it's just so fascinating that like the story that her father is having is somewhat similar to the story that demetrius is living and also the story that his father has lived um i just did not expect for this film to be so yes political but just touch on themes of colorism and i mean i knew there was going to be racism and i knew i was a little worried it was going to be done in like a hackneyed way of like oh we don't want you dating that black boy and, you know, like, this kind of stuff like that. And, like, very, like, teen yeah, I romance, also assumed it would like, be that. forbidden love kind of shit. But it ended up not being that. It's so much more nuanced. And yeah. there's, you know, there's the colorism that I talked about. But then there's just, you know, the there's that sequence where Demetrius is being, you know, uh, buttered up by a napkin. And, like, hey, my friend was worried that you're going to sue him. And Demetrius is like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. I see what you're doing. And Napkin is like... Uh, you know, us people of color have to stick together. And I then that's flipped on his head yeah, when he says, like, if you're not white, you're just colored. Like you there is just either or. And yeah, I thought that was a great line. Yeah. But then that moment, you know, has so much resonance throughout the film when Napkin and his cronies or, you know, Anil and his cronies, I guess they're Anil's cronies in that moment, you know, just barge in and I mean 
the levels of how fucked up them just barging in on two yeah. consenting grown adults is, is fucked up. You know, it's a whole other conversation, but like then it turns on its head. It's like, oh, I thought us people of color had to stick together, buddy. And then, you know, there's like this. And they get the cops weird, involved. Get the cops involved. Yeah. Never do that. Somebody who is, uh, you know, not me could speak to it much more eloquently and from their own experience possibly. But it just was like, this is such an interesting uh, unpacking of the themes of colorism and also just separation on certain racial lines, i.e. African-Americans versus Indian Americans, but then also I'm like, I'm, it's happening in my head right now. It's coming because Mina and her family, they are African-Americans. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. It's like, that's like the whole point that her father's trying to make is like, I am Indian, but I'm African. I'm Ugandan. Like Uganda is my home. Yeah. Like, they were it's, born there. Literally. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping over myself now because it's so complicated to talk about, which I wasn't expecting for Mississippi Masala. It was came totally out of left field, but like again, totally appreciated and absolutely fucking loved that aspect of it. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's so nuanced and it's so she has such a deft hand in the way she portrays this and the way she writes this. And I think you said something that obviously people who are not white like us would probably have be able mm-hmm. to speak to it better. Um so you saying that really prompted to me of like I think that's why filmmakers who can tell their own experiences are so vital. Right. Because like Mira and I are obviously telling a very specific story as an Indian woman. And so like, I like the fact that I think that because of that, she's able to get into these, these themes, these nuanced, really complicated things without it feeling preachy or without it feeling um, forced or in, I don't know, like, untruthful like it, it just feels so honest and real and, like even getting into like yes obviously there's the obviously the obvious lines between like the black community and the indian community in this town but also like the intercommunity things too with like uh i feel like especially with Demetrius's family and community uh class is a huge disparity right with his mm-hmm. family and with alicia like class is a huge intercommunity sticking point and then like even with uh mina's family like her dad like uh, the other men in the community and Neil included kind of getting mad at him. Like, Oh, we get it. You're from Africa. We get it. Like they think of him as different than them because he was born and raised in Africa. And so like, so like each, even inside, inside the communities, there's these different types of sticking points or splits of within the community. Prejudices. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of do the right thing. You're right. Because it's like, do the right thing also showed like, it wasn't just the white people in this movie that are racist. Like, black people are saying really racist stuff about the Asian people and the Asian people are saying really racist stuff back. Like I, I, I think it's, I like that this, both of those films grapple with the fact that like, you're not exempt from racism just because you were to a minority, like people who are queer sometimes like to use their queerness to hide behind things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. I am queer does not mean I'm like not white. You know what I mean? Like, like, like just because I'm queer does not mean I lose other aspects of myself that affect the way people view me and the way I move through the world. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, because I'm queer, that does not make me immune to being racist. You know what I mean? And I think that, and I think that no. that's the true, that's true for also being a person of color. Just because you're a person of color doesn't mean you don't have your own prejudices. And I think that directors like Mira Nair and Spike Lee are the people who should be talking about that. And like, I think they both have done so beautifully in their respective films that we've discussed. Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I so wish I could talk about it more eloquently because it is just such a fascinating thing i found in this movie just like 
it's unpacking political turmoil. It's unpacking a, you know, a nationwide revolution. Like yeah. obviously, I mean, as dad is a, like, if not a, you know, a political incendiary, he's, you know, a freedom fighter of some yeah. sort or a outspoken critic of the regime. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just was like, you know, I've said it, but I'll say it again. I just was like pleasantly surprised to be like, oh, there's much more than just a sultry romance taking place in Mississippi. And just it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like being like just bewildered that I was actually seeing Uganda in the film. I was like, I was, I felt so opened up. I felt like so happy that this film was doing what I love films to do is like open up my world mm -hmm. and like, you know, broaden my horizons. Uh, to use that cheesy phrase, but it just, it took me to a different place. It took me to multiple different places, both, uh, you know, spiritually and geographically. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I gotta say, and if we want to talk about the performances a little bit, I mean, Sarita Chowdhury is phenomenal. Her debut. I, is it really? Yeah. You're kidding. No. Wow. Her screen debut. Uh, that uh, adds another level to it. <laughs> um, no, she's just so good like at, at portraying like the longing for something more and also just like the stuckness that I think a lot of young people feel to this very day. I think that's a very relatable thing to feel is like, you know, I'm in a certain situation either because of my parents or my financial situation or my lack of education or because I have so much education mm -hmm. and I just can't get out of it. And so like I really identified with that. But beyond that, I just found her to be so naturalistic and just like portray like that 24 year old angst so yeah, well. Yeah, so well. Um, yeah. And just like somewhat, uh, you know, not a care in the world. That's like the one, one thing I was picking up about Mina, even though like later on there's like some, there's some drama, there's some stakes, but like she does seem really just kind of like, you know, happy-go-lucky you know like what whatever will happen will happen when she like goes out on a date with um who's the patel kid Her uh, uh, is it henry or harry we were me and rachel were laughing at the name yeah i think it might be harry it's either harry or henry yeah it's harry Something like it's that. Harry. yeah because it's like yeah. you went out dancing oh. with harry patel yeah and no i just found her to be like an interesting presence because it wasn't like she didn't have like any tics or like fall into any like specific tropes or anything i just found her to be like a very naturalistic performer yeah with uh in mina at least yeah feels like you're watching a documentary <laughs> like she's just so real <laughs> on the screen and i also love that yeah. you mentioned the writing and what makes that like nuanced political stuff so well so like great is the writing and i love how the writing like yes we get the sensuous kind of fanficy stuff like i say fanficy but like kind of that like since chills up your spine telephone scene kind of stuff but she's also not afraid mm -hmm. to like let the couple be taken really seriously i thought that scene with them at the gas station was really great them like fighting and getting all their stuff out and like speaking to each other like adults in a in a fight that felt very real and honest like and sometimes fights can you know that's the formula right the couple has to kind of break up or have a thing that pulls them apart so that they can then get back together it's it's formulaic to a sense and sometimes it doesn't always work i think in in romances uh, and, and stories like this in the way it should i think that the, the breakup felt so natural and motivated by the story in a great way because it's the families combined with like their own anger at each other almost that you know and, and again i just it just felt so real and like how real people would talk to each other in a way that was so great 
Yeah. No, the fight felt really real and authentic because I was like, I think because of the part where they're like making up somewhat where he, she's like, I'm going to go back to Uganda. He's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. He's like, he's kind of like, I said some things I did not mean. Mm-hmm. Like I was mad and angry kind of, you know, should have said some shit, but you know, yeah, no, I really, really don't love those moments. Traditionally, I find them to be formulaic and be very cliched. And I wasn't really mad about them in this because again, the writing is so good and feels very specific and it feels like the actors are inhabiting it very naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She said you stayed on to look after your father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure? Yeah. I ain't no saint. I mean, we got a good business. There's no reason to leave. This is a new Mississippi. I like it here. <laughs> it's not where I live. You know how many people come to our motel? They look at us. They say, not another goddamn Indian makes me so mad. Yeah. Well, Miss Masala, racism, or as they say nowadays, tradition, it's passed down like recipes. Now, the trick is you got to know what to eat and what to leave on your plate. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll be mad forever. And you'll never eat. And you'll never, <laughs> and you'll never eat, that's right. <laughs> It feels like we're closing in on our final thoughts. There's so much to talk about in this movie. And if you've listened to this whole episode, you have not checked out Mississippi Masala. I cannot implore you. I know we say this a lot on movies, episodes we love, but like this is one to check out. If you're going to pick one to watch along with us, this is a really great watch. Again, kind of showing my hand, but like it's mm-hmm. really, really good. Ian, do we want to pivot to our kind of our, what we're thinking? I think it's about time. Um, Mackenzie, why don't you go first? Tell us your final thoughts and star rating for Mississippi Masala. Picture it. Denzel Washington in a backyard in front of a grill with an apron that says, Dressed to Grill. Five stars for Mississippi Masala from old (laughs) Mackenzie over here. Uh, I loved this movie. It's it's oh. sexy it's it's well acted it's beautifully directed it's impeccably written i fucking loved this movie i had high hopes and they met they exceeded i had high hopes and this film exceeded those hopes by not just giving me the romance i desperately wanted but giving me so much more to chew on and so much more to learn and so much more to love on top of that so like i know i'm coming out hot and crazy right now but <laughs> yeah five stars from old Mackenzie from old wilkes over here i love it ian what about you Sorry oh, to make you follow that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. It'll be okay. Um, you know, after a week where I kind of felt like I was stopping and starting a lot of movies, this was really refreshing to be forced to watch in a way. Um, I like had to make time for this. I had to sit down and give it my full attention for two hours. Um, and one thing I didn't mention up at the beginning of our show is like, I'm really discovering that I don't like horror or movies that make me feel bad. It's not that I can't do uncomfortable sits. It's not that I can't watch challenging media, but I've been really craving some comfort food lately. Mm. And by golly, did I get it? I really, really love this movie. Um, and just everything that we've talked about, I, I, I miss these kinds of things. And I told you that I think the nineties is like, 
my decade recently, and this film only further confirmed it. It's also five star <gasps> from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so fucking good. It's it's just an immense pleasure that I am guaranteed to return to again and again. Um, yeah. Oh, I gotta pick up a copy. I am absolutely putting this in yeah. my collection. Absolutely, hundred hundred percent. Um, but yeah, no. Another 10 banger in the book. Boom, baby. Ooh. Well, Ian. Oh, man. <laughs> you got to fan yourself. You got to cool off. Yeah. Ian, you got to cool off because I don't know. Do we have any letters or voicemails this week? Not this week, but if people want to write in about Mississippi Masala, about the recent double feat of The Graduate and Harold and Maude, or anything else that you and I have ever talked about or what we will talk about coming soon, they can send those letters or voicemails 96 or under to the criterion connection at gmail.com and we will read and or play them out on the show. But Mackenzie, speaking of what we are talking about next that people might be wanting to write in or talk to us about. Yes. So I was thinking like, I want to watch a romance. I want to watch another, another romance. I want to feel this good. I want to feel so high again. And I was looking through the romance section on the criterion website and nothing was striking me. I was like, I can't go from something this sexy to something that is any less sexy. We have to keep the same level or and or exceed sexiness. I can't I can't dip now. I cannot back down. And uh I messaged you and I was like, I don't know, another podcast that's pretty popular amongst our friends just did this. So like would it be silly? Because it's the only thing I can think of that is just as sexy. And you said, I've never seen it. And that was the push I needed. Letterboxd describes this film as Quincy McCall and Monica Wright grew up in the same neighborhood and have known each other since childhood. As they grow into adulthood, they fall in love, but they also share another all-consuming passion, basketball. As Quincy and Monica struggle to make their relationships work, they follow separate career paths through high school and college basketball, and they hope into stardom in big big league professional ball. All's fair in love and basketball, baby. I'm not gonna lie I already have a five star rating up on this movie on Letterboxd Rachel and I watched it recently (laughs) and we're living and it was also one of those things that struck me as like wow this is a sexy fun movie and I, I just think it would pair really well with the sexy, fun energy while also having a lot of depth to it um, that Mississippi Masala has. And also another female auteur with Gina Prince-Bythewood. So, you know, we're getting some ladies, some amazing ladies on our pod and uh, two, for me, great romances. So This has been high, high on the watch list for a while. Very excited to watch it. I was really hoping that you would pick it <laughs> i know i was telling uh, you the other pick and you could i could see you wanting love and basketball so bad i was like not trying to i was like not trying to sway you one way or the other but uh love and basketball <laughs> i hear it's a really good movie uh, uh rest in peace monsoon <laughs> wedding one day we will cover you we will yes. come back to you we will come back to you absolutely well yes very 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 excited for that mackenzie we do have one oh, more thing yes, before yes, yes, we yes. head out um it is it is it is unfortunate for our listening public but uh you know sometimes life gets in the way and while we are going to be watching a very 
exciting and spicy movie. <laughs> yes. We've got to build the tension. Build the tension. It, yes. <laughs> you have some work yes. events. I am planning yes. a wedding. So we are going to be taking a break for two weeks. Count them. One, two. So that means for the next two Mondays, you will not have a new The Criterion Connection in your feed. We deeply apologize, but we promise that'll be well worth the wait with a fine film such as Love and Basketball. And you can count on us to be back Monday, November 13th. And yeah, I think that's about it, Mackenzie. Did you have anything else? No, nothing else for me. Alrighty, well, until then. See you next time on The Criterion Connection.